Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 148, Even Superman Had a Day Job, an interview with Margaret Etheridge, coming to you on Thursday, June 27th, 2019. I just got off of the interview with Margaret, and she and I were having so much fun. It's a bit of a long interview, which is going to make the introduction particularly short. But I think that you're going to find a lot of interesting things in here, um, depending on where you're at in your writing career or in your writing process or whether or not you feel stuck or if you're on a roll. She's got a little bit of something for everybody, I think. Um, She had some great tips for how to get a little bit more writing done every day when you have a day job, which I thought were great. And I wanted to be like, okay, hold on. I have to just go implement this right now. Let's finish the interview later. So um, who knows, maybe Monday morning, I'll be like, I'm just going to do a little bit of writing on my phone on the way to work. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. But let me stop talking and let you uh, listen to Margaret. She has um, so much great information. And I think it's going to help us all to get a little bit more writing done this summer. I hope you are having a fantastic day. I am very much enjoying the thunderstorms that have been going overhead. And um, just generally being happy that it's... uh, sunny and weather both. I love having all kinds of weather. So I hope you're enjoying your weather. I keep saying I'm going to stop talking about weather and yet I guess I guess I just like weather. (laughs) I don't know. But um, you know another thing to remember have you actually put any weather in your book? Like is it always sunny or did you never even mention on any of the chapters whether or not it was sunny, raining, overcast, hot, cold, windy? Just saying that there might be something to this weather thing. (laughs) All right. Have an excellent week uh, writing and enjoy the podcast. Today's guest is Margaret Etheridge. By day, Margaret is buried in spreadsheets. At night, Maggie Wells pens tales of people tangling up the sheets. The product of a charming rogue and a shameless flirt, you only have to scratch the surface of this mild-mannered married lady to find a naughty streak a mile wide. Maggie has a passion for college football, processed cheese foods, and happy endings, not necessarily in that order. A hybrid author of 40 novels and novellas, Mags is currently published with Sourcebooks Casablanca, Kensington Lyrical Press, Harlequin E., and Karina Press. She is also indie publishing original and backlist titles, and she's represented by Sarah Megabo of KT Literary. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's so nice to be here with you. Um, just the email, the first email that you and I were uh, exchanging, I was like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Well, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Okay. But first, we just have to start with that bio. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. <laughs> so first, your family just sounds so interesting. And second, yeah. is this your normal writing style? Because if so, people need to read your books. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it, I guess it would be. Uh, I always left, my parents were a hoot. Um, they, my dad really was the mild mannered, you know, family guy, but he had this roguish streak where every once in a while you would get this little glint in his eye and you knew that the, there was trouble coming. And my mom, uh, was a natural flirt. And my husband often accuses me of having inherited that trait from her and which is okay because I look like my dad so I had to get something from her right That's right. <laughs> and, um, so anyway uh, we tease her about we used to tease her about being charming because not long after my dad passed away one of the first excursions she was having with some lady friends was to go to a theater 
production and she was complaining to me as we were waiting for a ride to pick her up she's complaining and she just looked at me and goes i don't feel like being charming i'm like oh, are you ever <laughs> she's like, i was born charming <laughs> we use charming all the time in my family oh well you're just charming you're charming <laughs> not necessarily what it means yeah yeah <laughs> There's something about, and you live in the South now, right? I do. I do. I was born and raised in Illinois in the Midwest and uh, in the Corn Belt. And I lived in Chicago for a number of years. And then I made the, I had my name literally drawn out of a hat to go on a business trip. And uh, I went on a business trip to Virginia and I met a guy from Arkansas and here I am living in Arkansas. Oh so my it's, it's my own tropey little romance. I, I've got the long distance love. I did write a long distance romance book. <laughs> yeah, because you have to. It's a different kind of, different kind of meet cute where you meet and then have to go to, you know, home 650 miles apart. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to say that the, um, the stereotype, at least of the South is saying something really nice. It doesn't always mean the really nice. So it sounds like at least the charming part fits in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bless her heart. Yes. I can. <laughs> yeah. I, it's taken me 18 years, but I've learned to decode the language. And so um, I can speak both Yankee and Southern. Uh, wow. when, I'm, when I'm down here, they tell me I talk funny. And when I go home, they tell me I drawl. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like even at, at you know when I'm talking to people from Chicago, I will instantaneously pick up the Chicago accent, and everything will get really flat and very very fast, and then we're going to get our vowels very very long. And then when I'm down here, it's like, hey y'all, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I, um, yeah, I can go either way. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Living in Sweden there are times and having lived in Australia and New Zealand also because of my husband's work, there are times when I'm talking to people and, and um, they'll be like, where are you from? I can't tell. And I'm thinking, I sound the same. I've always sounded, but people are like, no, you don't sound the same. Every time you move, you sound a little different. I think you sound definitely Midwestern to me. I think I would say more uh, Michigan, Minnesota, Northern yeah. How'd I do? I did yeah, well. Michigan, number oh, one choice. There you go. There um, you go. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny how even Midwesterners, because we think that we don't have an accent, um, but of course the people from the East Coast or West Coast would think we do. Um, but I think we can pick it up in ourselves. And of course, I say pop instead of soda or uh, down here everything's a Coke. Do you want a Coke? Sure. What kind? Sprite. What? <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I want a Coke, a Coca-Cola. Uh, that's a Coca-Cola. That's a different thing. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the language barrier can be just like from one state to the next. And so it's funny to be able yeah. to pick up. But yeah, I know, I know my Northern Midwesterners. That's right. That's right. And it's funny how sometimes you can sort of, um, sometimes it's the voice that makes you go, you're from the Midwest. I know it, but sometimes it's something else because sometimes I'll see somebody before they've even really spoken much. Like the, the very first person who said hello to us at um, the church that we go to in Sweden. Um, I was just looking at him like, are you from the Midwest in America? And he's like, I'm from Ohio. And I'm like, oh, give me a hug. <laughs> we're like not even close. Michigan and Ohio, we don't even like each other. But hey, we're going to hug it out. That's right. That's right. Halfway around the world, we are like practically brother and sister then. Exactly. Exactly. Just not during football season, but any other time, sure. Right. All the yeah. rest yeah. of the time. Yeah. Get you. 
Now, so speaking of football, long distance relationships and moving all over, uh, tell us a little bit about your books. Like, have you integrated all these kinds of uh, interesting and unusual experiences in your writing? Actually, I have. Um, I do have a book out called Long Distance Love, and I don't have a copy of it here, but um, it's available in the ebook where I followed, uh, you know, two people who are professionals, you know, early 30s, and they've met and they moved their job moves them around. He's an FBI guy, and she's in the hotel industry, and they move around constantly, and they're trying to find a way to get it together. Um, I didn't really have that experience. We were both pretty grounded in where we were at. It was just a matter of who was going to make the move. So, yeah. uh, but it is a different set of logistics when you're trying to work out um, a relationship you know is going to work out. I knew when I met my husband, I was going to marry him. And let me tell Aww. you, you know, when people uh, make fun of romance and make fun of insta love, I knew I was going to, and it wasn't a happy moment. I'm looking, I've, I had a life, I had a career, I had an apartment, I had friends, my entire family was in Illinois. So I'm looking at this guy from Arkansas thinking, this is not part of the plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He had two children. He was custodial father. So it wasn't like I could just say, well, come on up here because we would be uprooting two small children and, and integrating them into a, a, an environment, the, you know, from Little Rock to the Chicago suburbs, two different worlds. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, these were all considerations. So I, I like to, to cover those kinds of things in my books. I do. Um, I have a series, I've got a book here. I've got a series about single dads, uh, oh, the Playdate yeah. series. I did three books where these guys are all custodial single dads for one reason or another, you know, whether, you know, they were divorced, whether they were widowed, or, you know, they, but they're custodial single dads. And the women they fall in love with aren't necessarily going to jump in and be like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to be the mom to this kid because I don't think that's reality. You have to, it's uh, a little more reality-based romance, I think, when you're looking at how do I fit in with this person, this six, seven, eight-year-old person who's already, you know, got his own life and, and this yeah. guy is their whole world and I'm going to horn in on that. It doesn't always go smoothly. Now, my kids, they wanted us together. We didn't have that contentious step. Aww children thing, but there's still the thing of being a step parent is a different uh, relationship from the parent. And even though I raised them, I put braces on their teeth and I'm the one that they, they call, yeah. um, you know, it's a different kind of thing where I have to step back and let him take the lead a little more. When my kids call me, their first question out of their mouth is where's daddy? Yeah. You know, and they don't mean anything by it, but that's, so it was kind of fun to write that kind of romance because we often see single parent romances where, oh, the, you know, it's automatically, you know, oh, we're all a happy family and, and it's going to be seamless. And that's yeah. not the way it is, even when they want you there. Yeah. And yeah. I can't even imagine if the ones where it's contentious with the kids. So, right. Yeah. Um, oh. And then of course, college football, college football. <laughs> I love college football. Um, <laughs> every fall, that was one of the reasons why my husband married me the first time I came to Little Rock. <laughs> the first time I came to Little Rock, he, he said, we can either go to the Robinson Center, which is the theater, and see Damn Yankees, the musical, which I love musicals, and he knew that. Um, or uh, the Razorbacks are in town that weekend, and they'll be playing in Little Rock that weekend. I said, ooh, college football. I love college football. <laughs> so boom, he married me. <laughs> Every Saturday we're tuned in um, and some years are better than others. But um, yeah. one of the things that happened here a few years ago is the Arkansas head football coach um, 
was having a very successful season, but unfortunately on, in the off season had a, a minor motorcycle accident with a woman on his the back of his bike who wasn't his wife. Um, um, and if you live anywhere in the Bible Belt, you know that doesn't fly with a yeah. public, with somebody who's the highest paid person in the state of Arkansas on the state oh. payroll. So oh. he was kind of drummed out of town. And so I thought, well, what would happen if, if you had... Um, because obviously we've all followed sports and we've all seen these, not just sports, men fall from grace and they always get their way back in, you know, yeah. let's face it, you know, if a woman did that, it would be a completely different story, I think. But, um, so I thought, well, what if I had this woman's, this woman coach who was just a superstar, she's an Olympian, she's the winningest, and, you know, one of the winningest coaches and players that I've ever been. And she's just at the top of her game and she's got to deal with this football coach coming in and uh he's automatically the highest paid employee for the university mm -hmm. i mean and all the usual things even though he's already fallen from grace and trying to scramble his way back in by yeah. picking up this really losing team and hopefully being able to make his mark again so i wrote this book called love game Oh, and okay. uh, this is actually the book that that Sarah Megabel uh, signed me on because she she's oh. like, I I want this heroine I want this yeah she Kate is unapologetically a superstar and makes no bones about it and when she and uh, the hero Danny kind of join forces they're kind of unstoppable because he you know is former NFL champion and all this stuff and he made some mistakes and had to build his career back up again. And they help each other in a very egalitarian sort of way. And so wow. it wasn't her rescuing him so much as she was using her power to make it where they both get what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. wow. Okay. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like, uh, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write yeah. this book about this really fantastic woman and how this guy just comes swooping in again. And he's like, oh, I messed everything up. But hey, you're going to pay me all this money. And the funny thing is, is, you know, when you are a college football fan, and of course, the book world and the sports world don't often collide. <laughs> so when editing this book, one of the editors actually asked me, could he afford to buy her? this diamond ring i'm like oh hold on let me explain to you <laughs> how ncaa athletics work because he you know i think it's something i i can't remember the exact statistic but in some insane number of states like 20 states the highest paid public official is the head football coach of the state university wow yeah yeah alabama nick saban's the highest paid coach in alabama he's probably the highest paid person in alabama um wow. so, I mean, yeah so i mean and it is in arkansas here our, our head coach is the highest paid public official <laughs> and, oh my gosh that's amazing it's crazy. it's crazy it's huge business and people don't realize what an enormous um industry it is and with yeah. the Right. So there's a lot of money on the table. So when you talk about billionaire romance, people are thinking about the players. But the, this was, I wanted to write somebody who wasn't a player, but still was in that working in that realm yeah. uh, where they've got the power and they've got the money. They just don't have the spotlight on them necessarily right. all the time. So yeah. Or at least not all the time, because the unless they do something. Yeah. When they do something wrong, people will notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so. All right. Now, you write under two names, and I think one of them is a hotter, sexier name. Is that right? Yeah, tell us, I, tell us I the wrote, names. And... I wrote my first books under my own name, Margaret Etheridge. And um, 
when you're a romance reader and writer, you become inured to the sexy times and you, you don't think much about it. So I didn't think much that I was writing these spicier scenes. And my first couple of books were uh, paranormal, ghost paranormals. Oh, and, cool. Um, and my, once they were published, I all of a sudden had this moment when I realized my mother was going to read this book. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember having that moment. And, and I, and I got, and well, I said, mom, don't read chapter 12. <laughs> and, and then I got the phone call, <laughs> Margaret, Mary, your sister wants to know where you learned all this. <laughs> I'm like, my sister does Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I blamed my college roommate. Oh, Kathy told me. <laughs> I was four, I was a 40 year old married woman with two kids but my mom was like giving me a hard time about it yeah. the so, shameless flirt your yeah. mom yeah. uh the shameless flirt with seven children so she wanted to know where I learned all this yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> Catholic schools mom oh wait no um so yeah it was yeah. one of those moments I was like wow I really ought to take a little more care about that because I'm the uh, I'm from a family of readers all of my siblings read we all are avid readers my nieces nephews work constantly swapping oh. books but I'm really mm -hmm. the only romance person in there so mm -hmm. they're all a little shocked <laughs> you know and they're they're very supportive I'm not, but they, yeah. they just don't really know what to do with that it's like we don't ever need to discuss it it's okay <laughs> <laughs> if it were uh, bloodlust it'd probably yes. be okay right right yeah i could i could be you know if i were in middle earth or something they would all be like yeah let's go hunt something down yeah uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was interesting. So that's how Maggie Wells was created to kind of protect the mommy because it wasn't so much that she was upset about it, but she was like, can you write something that my, I can give to my friends? Yeah. <laughs> All right, mom. <laughs> so I, um, at that time, which was probably about, I don't know, 2011, 2012, um, what I, I was writing as Maggie Wells was considered erotic romance. And then 50 shades hit oh. and our whole, um, look at what we considered uh, erotic in the industry shifted. So when I signed with Sarah in 2015 and we were talking about the pen names, I was like, I don't think I'm considered erotic anymore. And she's like, Oh no, <laughs> you're way yeah. too she's like, you're way too vanilla for that. I'm like, yeah, I'm just writing about people, you know, doing it. <laughs> <laughs> And oh. so, you know, it, it's funny how the industry evolved like that. And so now we just say it's hot contemporary um, right. because it is hot. I mean, it's explicit, but it's not um, anything that is going to get banned anywhere, I don't think, or right. have people in an outrage. They're all just going to go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, like my family did. So, right, right. Uh, so, yeah, that is interesting. So that's how the two pen names evolved. So Maggie tends to write a little spicier. Margaret tends to be a little more women's fiction, not necessarily cleaner. Um, but a little more closed door, not, not okay. as explicit. Um, yeah. and so I think as, as Margaret, the, you know, the, the books that I just re-released this year are these, um, I call I'm calling them the Windy City Women books because they're all, um, and I know I have horrible glare in here, but they're all based on heroines around the Chicago area. And um, okay. they are more family oriented. That one I just held up content. It was actually the first book I ever wrote, wrote. And, you know, you know how wow. that is. It, it, did yeah. get, it did get picked up, but, but eventually, you know, some other things had to come first. But uh, 
it's about a marriage falling apart and whether they can put it back together again. And, yeah. And so I like to write about life choices, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. It was, I like life choices. So it's nice. I was reading a bunch of the, um, basically the, the blurbs on your website of you have a lot of books, but <laughs> I'm reading the blurbs. I'm like, this is so interesting. I don't think that I've um, read a I don't think that I've read somebody who had so many books that had, you know, like difficult choices, but were still, you know, in the romance, women's fiction um, right. kind of area. I, like, I think they're real choices. I think, you know, I have uh, obviously, you know, especially as I grow older, I, you know, I have friends that have made all those choices. I have the friends that have chosen to remain childless. I have yeah. the friends who struggled for years and years to have a child and never got there. Mm. I have the friends who were accidentally pregnant and, yeah. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden they look around, they're like, where'd I get all these kids from? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, and then, you know, some of us fall in, the, I always think of in the, the musical Gigi, there's a great line where it's us instead of falling in love at once some of us fall in love at last or get married at last and I was the last of my friends to get married and I it was funny oh because in college and, and beyond I was always the one that had a steady boyfriend I always expected to get married by my middle 20s and have a couple of kids by my 30s because as I said my parents were older so I always wanted to be a young parent yeah uh, and so of course none of that went according to plan Right. I, I, you know, my dating in my twenties was sporadic at best. And, um, and then here I meet this guy from Arkansas when I'm 30 and end up moving to Arkansas and getting married at 32. So none of that went according to plan. I'm, uh, a Catholic girl who has married a divorced guy with two children. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, none, of, none of it was what was expected. Of yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, and it, it was all fine, but it was just, you know, people make choices or things happen that we don't plan for. And so I like yeah. the romance that comes about in the uh, out of the blue, unexpected way. I, those yeah. always appeal to me more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I love talking about books and writing and stories, but you have a really interesting presentation that you've given to various writers' conferences and stuff that I was like, oh, do that, do that. In fact, um, if you don't mind, I'm even going to make it the title of this episode, which is, everybody, called Even Superman Had a Day Job. <laughs> he did. It's so cute, right? And he had a cool he job because he was, and he was a, writer. a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's one of those things that I have always, um, well, I've always worked um, a day job. Uh, I, when I first started writing, I was working a pretty demanding job as a um, fulfillment manager for a wholesale company. So I traveled quite a bit all the way up through probably 2014. Yeah. Wow. 2014. I was traveling quite a bit. And so I, in a way, it was easier for me writing because I wasn't at home. I didn't have the laundry to do and all the other things that we have to do at home when we get home from work. So I could go back to the hotel room and be like, and so I cranked out a number of novellas that way, writing in hotel rooms when I would get back from whatever I was doing for the day job on site. But it was interesting because... At that time, and I think it still is, a lot of people are, are doing the whole, uh, I can't wait to 
write my book or get published and I can quit my day job. Yeah. And of course I had that too. I can't wait to be able to write full time. All I want to do is write and I just want to be able to quit my job and do this. So I think that's one of the great, um, I don't know if I want to say myth, but it's one of the things we don't talk about in publishing very much is that most of us will never get to make a living from strictly from our writing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always going to have some kind of side hustle or day job or something like that going on because we know how slow, especially in traditional publishing, the payment system is. Now, indie right. publishing is a different animal, but you're still in the hustle all the time, um, all the time. And people don't realize that it's not just you. Everyone thinks they've watched Castle and they've watched Murder, She Wrote. And then once you publish that first book, you're living in a penthouse in New York yeah. and everything's fine. And you just keep publishing book after book after book. And your publisher is your publisher for your life. And you're working with the same editor all the time and your best yeah. friends and you have cocktails together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not so much. I've been um, to conferences where people are meeting their editor for the first time after three or four books. <laughs> Right, right. I have an editor, um, um, Marcy Clark, and she's fantastic. She's my editor of Kensington. We did 10 books together. We've never met in person. Um, and, and we talk all the time and, yeah, we email back and forth. But it, it's, yeah, I consider her a friend, but it's, yeah, we've never met in person. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting. Actually, I've only met one of my editors or two of my editors in person. Now that I think about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not the norm. And um, now I, I have obviously met my agent in person a number of times and Sarah's wonderful. And I'm just very thankful to be on Team Megabo and because uh, <laughs> she is one of the most positive, enthusiastic people you can ever get on your team. But yeah, uh, yeah it's funny because most of our industry is conducted via email and, and, and file transfer or however anymore. So you don't really have that personal touch and it's not the way it's portrayed on TV. I can't tell you how many people tell me, are you a rich, ask me, are you a rich author now? I'm like, would you see me here at work if I were? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, when I first started talking about this, um, one of the reasons I started talking about it is there's kind of a little bit of a stigma of, oh, you haven't quite made it yet if you can't quit your job. Yeah. And I think that's really erroneous because there are a lot of people in different circumstances. And when I say a job, I don't necessarily mean just the I'm going in and getting a paycheck at the end of the week kind of job. A lot of us are caregivers to either the very young or the elderly. Mm-hmm. And um, I know at my age, a lot of us have parents that require um, a lot more assistance than than we ever anticipated. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and that's a full-time job as well. And it's an unpaid one too, which is insult to you know, injury. But yeah. you know, you, you, you're, a number of your hours a day are not dedicated to writing. You're not free to write in that time. Yeah. And, um, and so that's what I mean by saying full-time. You can have full-time career during the day and be a full-time writer at the same time. I yeah. think I've, published uh 39 i have 40 number 40 is on submission right now um in the last nine years so i i think i can say unequivocally i'm a full-time writer yeah um and and so i it took me a long time to own that myself because i hadn't quit the the day job Uh, but for me quitting the day job isn't an option um in here in the states it's it's different for so many you know authors because we don't have socialized medicine right. um, 
And I will never be able to quit my day job. My husband is self-employed. We're both in our 50s. And if you've ever priced medical insurance in the United States for two people in their 50s, yeah. we can't make enough money on a steady basis to cover yeah. those premiums. And, and the insurance that you get on an individual basis often doesn't cover as much as you would get in a group plan. Yeah. Um, and so with him being self-employed and even though he makes a very good living at it, um, my job is to, it covers the health insurance. I, I work out of the house and I'm on a group plan that covers both of us. And that's really my, I mean, I'm not saying I don't need the check. I'll take the check. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. my purpose in, in, in working is to make sure that we maintain health insurance coverage. And that's the reality yeah. of living and working in the United States. Um, unless you have somebody, you know, your spouse or whoever who can provide that kind of safety net, that could be catastrophic. Right. Uh, yeah. Very easily. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one trip yeah. to the emergency room, very easily catastrophic. Yeah. So I, I thought it was important for us to start talking about it because we all have reasons yeah. why we may keep a day job beyond our success or, or it shouldn't be a factor in in determining our success as authors right, right. Uh, as far as I'm concerned because uh, there are other reasons for having to have employment outside of writing right right for instance um, I am on a six-month contract with my husband's company which is massive entertainment in Melma Sweden and we, we make video games so so part of the reason why I'm like I don't know that I'm really that interested in like I kind of want to pursue more contracts with them or something right. simply because um, it, it's just it's so fun to be around people who are who are like you and these are all geeky nerdy people <laughs> who you know play games right. and watch all the superhero movies right. and have toys on their desk I'm like oh my gosh it's people like me yeah and after 13 years of working by myself in my own office, which I love, right. I was getting just, um, I don't know, there's some word, I don't know if it has been developed yet and I don't know it or if I need to come up with it, but it's some word that sort of means lonely, but not really lonely, just like, but I need more people contact and then I'm even happier. Yeah. What's that? You need interaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I totally get that. And, and I think that one of the things that, um, you know, life's messy and complicated and we are messy, complicated people. And just like you said there with you needing some interaction outside the house, last year I got laid off from a job and I oh, thought, wow. oh, great, this is, <laughs> yeah, they gave me a little check to leave. I'm like, okay, I'll go. Yeah. Um, and I'll write all summer long and then I'll look for a job. And, and yeah. that was uh, like the ultimate in hubris here. Um, <laughs> as a 50 year old woman, because, you know, it's not easy to look for a job when you're a little bit older. Um, mm -hmm. that why would they pay me what they would, I would need to be paid when they can get someone straight out of school and pay them a little less. So that's yeah. the economic reality. of it. The other part is the creative reality of it. I can't write for eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, what a discovery. I, I'm a pretty prolific writer. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to be cranking them out left and right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three books done by the end of summer. I wrote less than 10,000 words. The end yeah. Of summer. yeah, I understand. I can't, I can't write when I don't feel secure in my life. And yeah. even though I had my little pie out and I had a plan for the insurance coverage and what I was going to do, until I could 
get my safety net back, there, the creative part of that wasn't going to happen. That's me. And I'm sure there are other people who are far more comfortable flying by the seat of their pants, but I've discovered that I am not one of them. I have to have that, you know, somebody, something to catch me if I trip and fall. And literally the, the, <laughs> the irony of that is I was job hunting and job hunting and I got a call back for an interview and uh, I was running down the stairs to tell my husband, oh, I'm going to get this interview. And I tripped and did a banana peel down the stairs, landed on my back and was like, well, we can't go to the emergency room. So this better be okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. But yeah, it was just one of those moments where you're laying there thinking, well, well, well that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Life's messy and complicated. And, and aside from the external factors, our own internal factors are just as messy and complicated. I never would have dreamed that I would have trouble producing uh, with all the time in the world to do so. And right. Yeah. You know, you hear people talking about, talk about it, that um, the reason why we need deadlines or the reason why we need writing sprints is because we need to know that we've only got this much time because otherwise our brains will go, I've got all the time and, you know. Kind <laughs> of go lay yeah. with the dog and have a little nap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. And I am very deadline oriented. I like goals. I like deadlines. If you give me a deadline, I will not only meet it, I will beat it. Um, but I, But if it's not my own deadline, my own deadlines, I can push back indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to give it to me. Um, so, and someone's got to be counting on me because I don't like to let people down. So yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that I'm not letting anyone down, but I'm really okay with letting myself down. Yeah, I can forgive me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I felt like I can leave me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so was part of the, um, I, I don't know, like at what in what order things happened for you um, between the self-publishing and the getting an agent and publishing with other companies. But were pub was publishing with a traditional company part of the reason that, or I'm sorry, was was needing um, feeling like you would do better if you had outside external deadlines? Was that part of the reason why you pursued uh, traditional publishing? know if that was it so much at the time because I wasn't you know I was in a, a long time job at that time and I I think with me it was more of a time consideration I had friends who were successfully indie publishing and I knew how much time it went into yeah. they went into creating their cover art and getting the editorial done and so I think with me for traditional publishing first it was more that I wanted a partner to take care of those details for me um, and just give me the work back and let me turn it around to you. And that worked out well for me. I, and so I, I small press published first. I was um, with a small press called Turquoise Morning Press, uh, which has since closed. And then I was with Wild Rose mm -hmm. and then Karina. And so it's like you can see step, 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 it gradually yeah. getting larger in each one. And then Kensington Lyrical and then Sourcebooks. And so it was a good progression for me because I, I got to see all sorts of different takes on the traditional publishing and how much um, more or less involved <laughs> was in the decision making in various with the various publishers and yeah. also my comfort level with it. Um, when I, when Turquoise Morning closed and uh, Kim Jacobs, who was the owner, was fantastic in that she was a very 
gracious woman and immediately reverted all of our rights and and gifted us with our cover art and so actually wow. like this this cover art was her cover art and she gave me the rights to use it when I wow. republished it and so she was very very wonderful uh in in that aspect and um that makes a lot of difference when you're when you're writing full time and working full time. How much time do I want to spend scrolling through stock art sites? Yeah, I don't have a lot of Photoshop skills. <laughs> I can do Canva, okay, yeah. professional things. And I did create the the cover for my indie release double play, but I. I had the template of love games and uh play for keeps to go off of so i kind of knew what i wanted to look like so i could make it look like them yeah uh, i'm not a visually creative person myself so if i just handed somebody one of my if somebody handed me the art sheet i filled out i'd be like well i don't know what i'm supposed to do with that right <laughs> a picture of a porch what okay what? sure yeah, um, so that, it's, it's a different skill set, and some people really excel at that, and some people don't. I have author friends who are fantastic at it, yeah. um, but I am not a visually creative person. So I think it's about knowing your skills and knowing where you want uh, the backup at. Um, and right. plus, you know, now I'm so far into my publishing career that I've made a lot of editor friends that do side work that, you know, and I know who I can go to, uh, to edit my indie publications. And, and, yeah. yeah, so at the beginning, I don't know if I could have, I do have friends that just dove right into the indie publishing and learned along the way. And I go to them all the time. I'm like, help yeah. me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, never had to do this before. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter really of what you're comfortable with in terms of control. I was okay with giving up control of cover art and uh, the final, you know, editorial is always the authors. So that really didn't bother me. Um, you don't get a whole lot more support on the marketing aspect with the traditional publishing these days than you do with indie publishing so that was kind of a wash either way yeah. i'm just gonna yeah. do all the same things um, right they have a little better reach to be able to get to reviewers and things like that but that's really the advantage there yeah yeah so i think really in terms of balancing it with the job for me at that time traditional publishing was a better route to go because they took a little more off my plate Right, right. Now, so what are some of the tips that you give to people when you're speaking about um, how to happily, peacefully, non-burnout level? <laughs> yeah. level to tell them, don't do as I did. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, we, we went, I went through a lot of phases where I, I had to learn a lot of this and come to terms with a lot of it on my own. Um, and just like I spoke about with the layoff, and I, I don't deal well with uncertainty. Well, I didn't know that until it happened to me. Right. Um, I didn't, I just figured I'd handle it like I handled everything else. So why not? Um, and, you know, I've always been goal oriented. But what happens when um, I have to set my own goals and am I going to respect my goals? Well, I've learned that I can respect smaller goals for myself. So <laughs> I have the, the Kanban board to the right of me where I have what I'm doing this week, what I'm doing in the next 30 days, what I'm doing in the next 90 days, and what I'd like to have done by the end of the year. And I find that that works for me because if I'm just saying, do this this week, no problem. 
But yeah. if I say finish this by the end of the month, well, you know, I got all month. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can get to that. Uh, so I, I think it's really a matter of finding what works for you and then finding different tools and being willing to experiment with your process. Mm. Um, I am not a plotter. I dream of being a plotter. I dream just as I dream of using these, uh, fantastic day planners I buy every year yeah. <laughs> and use for like a month. And I bought the pens to go with it and nice. stickers. And I love people who can journal and journal well, and I envy them greatly. Um, I envy their collection of washi tape, Um, (laughs) but I don't do it well myself. It doesn't work for me. So I, I am definitely more into micro planning than uh, macro planning. And so I think it's really about knowing yourself and what works for you in terms of planning and goal setting and then trying different things. The last few books I've written, I've dictated the bulk of the first draft. Wow. Um, that was a new thing for me and an awkward thing and a new skill set to learn. Yeah. Um, but it helped me get back to telling a story, I think. I think as writers, a lot of times we get so into our heads about the craft and we know what we're doing wrong (laughs) and what we're doing right. And we can bog ourselves down with uh, not telling the story because we're trying to get it technically correct on the first draft. So we have less work to do later. Um, I've done NaNoWriMo every year since 2009. Um, Wow. I know it's crazy. I'm not doing it again. I say that. Every <laughs> I say that every year, and then I do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I find that kind of crunch of of creative flow of stop editing yourself and just let it out. Uh, tell the story and get back to story. So this year really has in this last year has really been about getting back to storytelling for me um, and stop worrying about what's going to work to market because I know I can publish whatever I want you know, and uh, so I think indie publishing is giving us as authors, as creatives, a lot more freedom to tell the stories that may or may not be what we would consider marketable within the romance genre. Uh, I write write a lot of heroes and heroines who are 40 plus. Yeah, I get a lot of rejections. Yeah, yeah. No one wants, supposedly no one wants to read about them. Uh, I got a, a, a Facebook group that a friend and I, started that we're at 3,000 members of people who want to read about them. (laughs) So, I mean, there are things like that where we tend to hem ourselves in by what we think um, worked for the last book. Yeah. And so I always try to do something different each book in terms of either my approach to it, in terms of plotting, planning, outlining. Um, I'm not a good outliner, but if I give myself a very loose one, I find that works well for me and I know where my beat points are and what I need to do. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes my brain just says, I'm not doing that. (laughs) We're going to follow these characters wherever they go. And then we're going to sort it out later. So I'm one of those people that likes to stop two thirds into the book and start pulling at loose threads and saying, is this something that I need to be working with or is this something that can go? Interesting. Uh, So I found that um, probably the biggest thing with being able to juggle both things is just being open to letting the story come. 
in however whatever form it comes and don't and when so when people ask about process and craft I'm always like I'm all over the place you know yes what worked for the last book may not work for this book and what's what my day job is doing to me may not be promoting the flow in the night job so do I need to think of something different so the dictation thing was really an interesting thing because I was commuting uh, a whole 13 minutes. I have a really long commute. 13 minutes. <laughs> As a Chicago, and I'm laughing. 13 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh! You're right. Yeah, it's that long to get to Chicago. the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a 13 minute commute, and I found that in those 13 minutes, I could dictate really rough, and I mean rough, six or seven hundred words. But those were six or 700 words that when I got home and had Dragon transcribe them for me, I had them on a page and I could go in and clean them. And as I cleaned those six or 700 words, I usually would end up somewhere around a thousand. Okay. And for a balance in the day job and night job, if I can have a thousand words a day, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. 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 And that's I, what I was going to ask you, like how you actually get the work done because, you know, 40 hours plus a commute yeah. plus, you know, it's 40 hour work week is really... I tell yeah. people, you know, my work week is really 55 hours because there's an hour lunch and then a half an hour commute yeah, both ways. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, using the commute helps, um, if you can safely do so. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. live in an area that is not, you know, there's not huge traffic jams around Little Rock. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm going very early. I work a very early, I work 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. So, I'm, I have a nice chunk in the evening where I can get home, make dinner, play with the dog, hang out with the husband for a little while, and then sit down and do stuff if I need to do stuff. But working with the commute uh, has really helped in that piece of it but for many of those books I didn't have that I was working uh long you know longer hours I was working I have always been in salaried positions so you know what that means that means you're at the beck and call all the time and as I said I traveled for a great deal of it so it's really a matter of being creative and finding the time um the thing I tell people now is if I set micro goals I get out of my head about what I should be doing Ah, that should word. Should, 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 should. I should be cranking out a thousand words a day. Who said that I had to put out a thousand words a day? Mm. Um, You know, unless I've got a hard and fast deadline staring at me, if I'm just working on a first draft, I don't have to produce at that level. Mm. Um, And once you take the have to and the should out of it, uh, you'll find it goes a lot better. Um, So I think that one of those things is, is um, stop looking at what other people can do. Yeah. <laughs> and it always goes back to the nuns for me and stuff. Don't keep your eyes on your own paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say, I have a couple of writer friends where we, that's like a code phrase for us now, because when you, we all do it, we all have that moment of jealousy. We're like, Hey, did you see so-and-so sign this contract? How did they get that? Yeah. And, why don't I have that? And we all do it. And so acknowledging that and having the friends will say, yeah, that's really great for her. And yeah, I'm jealous too. It's okay that you feel this way. Now keep your eyes on your own paper and do your own work. I love that. You should totally write that. Well, and you're, you're the only person who can write your book. Yeah. No one else can write your book. If I gave you a plot premise, you would write a completely different book than I would write. Yeah. And, and so I think, I mean, even 
if we said here's your character and here's where they're from what they'd still come out two totally different books so um that comparison as the thief of joy is so very true and we yeah. all do it i think acknowledging that we all do it don't try to i don't even try to pretend that i don't get jealous i am extremely jealous and then i have to get back into my book and just say okay this is my work and this yeah. is how i'm gonna do it and hopefully it will hit and hopefully this will connect with someone and they'll say wow that it was like you were writing it for me and that's what we all want from our writers to get that message from a reader that says, I totally understood this character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and to be afraid, it, not to be afraid to write the unlikable characters. I, you know, I know we, we have a lot of discussion on Twitter about unlikable heroines because I do think we definitely hold our heroines to a double standard. Uh, things that we would consider okay in our heroes often are derided in our heroines and yeah. um i'm not the mushy one in my relationship my husband is i have oh. five older brothers they beat all the mushy out of me oh, right. <laughs> so yeah and so i'm not the sentimental one i'm not and and so it's funny to me when someone says well you know how can she not care about this i'm like oh i didn't even think about it <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm heartless <laughs> um, yeah yeah I wrote my heartless heroine. Um, but yeah, it's funny because we all have different experiences and we all have a different idea of what we're expecting from those heroes and heroines. And you are the only one who can write it the way you want to tell the story. And it's going to connect with some people and it's not going to connect with others. And you just have to kind of write for those ones that are thinking the same thing that you're thinking. So. Yeah. And it's important. I think it's really important to write the story that you want to write. It is so hard for me not to write the story that I see other people selling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so hard. Cause you, we all know what will sell. I mean, we yeah. do, we, we know how I, I've tried, I'll admit it. I have tried repeatedly to write to market. I have tried, I have taken so many runs at category romance cause I have friends who write it and write it successfully and, yeah. and do it well. And I, I love it. And that's where I fell in love with romance. So I was thinking, oh, I want to write that, but I can't hit the marks they want you to hit. And, yeah. uh, in the, and I, I don't know why. I know what they are. I just can't hit it. Um, and so I'm, I'm jealous of those who can because I think, boy, if I could do that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the grass is always greener for everyone. They're probably thinking, boy, if I can write something single title and th throw it out there. And, yeah, so I know that the, the different treadmills we, we get ourselves onto in the writing career. Um, I'm at a point now where I'm thinking about hopping from treadmill to treadmill. And do I want to focus more towards the women's fiction again? Do I want to write something that's, you know, maybe not so hot anymore, maybe tone it down, maybe tone it down a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and you know, these are all things that play in my mind. So I'm, I'm letting go of the plan, I guess. Um, trying not to look at, I don't look at publishers marketplace as much as I used to. Yeah. It's better that way for everybody. <laughs> it's interesting because sometimes I think um, I'm calmer to know less. Um, yes, and, yeah. and yet I feel like, but everybody says that I should know everything about what's uh, happening in the publishing industry. But then I get so like 
tight that the words won't come out anymore. Exactly. Exactly. No, I totally understand what you're saying because, and I think it's the same way with social media because we're always told, oh, you need to make your presence known and make your mark here and there. Um, and I find it very draining. Um, I, I'm a, a hit and run social media person. I've discovered how to use Instagram and post it to my Twitter and Facebook, which is the best discovery in the world. Yeah. Uh, because I can take pictures. I, I have a little metal garden dinosaur that I named Rover, and I like to put him in different scenarios outside and take pictures of Rover doing things and post them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do instead of writing. <laughs> so Rover and I, uh, yeah, and Rover has a little following. So, yeah. And so that's my way of social media connecting because if I get on there and read my timeline, I'm shut down for the day especially yeah. if something's blowing up in the romance world if something's uh it's not that i don't care i do care and i want to know what's happening um but if i'm in the process of writing and i'm in where i'm considering a, a crunch time where i'm trying to get a certain amount done i do have to kind of closet myself off from the world a little bit yeah and get into the cave yeah. And now, so do you do any of your writing at work, like lunch hour or anything? Or, okay, so if anybody from your work is listening, like, don't, don't tell anything you don't uh, want people I, to know. But, yeah. but like, um, I know some people, my husband started sure. writing at lunch and he yeah. was like, I can't believe this is great. And I'm like, but I, I can't, I get really irritated when I have to stop writing when I'm in the middle of something. Yeah. So writing at lunch is not necessarily making me a happier person. I'm not good at opening up the document and writing it because I'm like you. When I'm in it, I'm in it and I want to keep rolling. But you know what I found is that's where dictation helps me because I can go sit in my car at lunch and talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And, oh, right. and, and I and have it to use later. Yeah. And I've got, yeah. <gasps> and and so that's one thing that I, I do. And now I've been very lucky. I changed jobs last year again. And I, I um, am working as an office manager for a very small company, family owned. They know I'm a writer. There's no, yeah, they, they think it's, you know, it's interesting. They're like, okay, great. You know, and <laughs> my job by nature has very down times where I, I'm literally waiting for someone to do something so I can do something. Yeah. So I, they know I'm twiddling my thumbs. So they know that there are times where I'm going to get in there and add a little bit, <laughs> you know, but I, yeah. I'm better at editing during the day. Uh, right. I am at creating new words. Uh, but in terms of creating new words, I do find that dictation is a great way to sneak in uh, some day writing <laughs> because and I just have voice record pro on my phone. I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Let, let yeah. us know what you use. Okay. Yeah, I, I use voice record pro and I know there are other ones. That's, I'm a creature of habit and that's the one that works for me. I can yeah. upload it directly to my Dropbox um, and then when I come home at night, I have Dragon naturally speaking on my computer and I can have Dragon pull it from my Dropbox and transcribe it for me. And then I have some place on the page to work. Um, but I also use dictation to capture ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big bubble bath brainstormer. You know, yeah. I like to take a book to the bath and then I'll be reading and then I'll set the book down and I'll be like, you know, if I had them and then I'm off and running. And so then I have to kind of reach for the phone and be like, okay, so in the next scene, the hero is going to do this and then the heroine's going to say this and then this is going to happen. So make sure that you get this down so that this can happen later. <laughs> nice. You know, um, and then you have the little note to yourself right there. Yeah. Um, 
so a week, two weeks, three weeks later, when you get to that point in the book, because I'm a linear writer, I know people skip around. Some people could go write that scene right there, but I'm a linear. I need to know my progression yeah. through. So um, I will pull up that voice note and kind of hear, hearing the excitement in my voice will trigger oh yeah, that's why I thought about that. And this is why it fits in here. So it's a, it's a different kind of uh, stimulus, I guess. Yeah. Here when, you know, I was so excited two weeks ago when I discovered that, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, because two weeks later, I'm like, why was I going to do that? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. I thought about this. So that's another uh, little trick that so yes I do do that during the day I will pick up the phone and be like hey and in this scene make sure you do this and I also do the thing where if I'm going to dictate on my commute uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll write down three plot points I want to get across in that scene oh. on a post-it note and stick it to my steering wheel <laughs> so all right I know that in that 10 or 15 minutes of babbling I need to get these three things out and, yeah. and three things, we can all get three things out, you know. Yeah. And, and so that's part of that whole micro goal setting. If you break it down, we can all do that in a scene. So yeah. I think that a lot of times we get too wrapped up in the big picture right. and not in the uh, how do I get there. I have a friend that had, had been working on this book, uh, book for months and months and months and just could not get to the end. And so we sat down at Panera one day. I was like, just tell me where's the end and why can't you get there and by the time we talked it out she's like oh god it's so much easier than i thought it was <laughs> yeah. and we've all had that moment which is why i would say i, I get to stop two-thirds of the way and go start pulling threads because i realized the, the end is so much closer than i thought it was I, yeah. they are there i'm just so lost in the details and the minutiae of it all right. that i can't see the bigger story arc coming together yeah um, so I think that helps too, is to break it down into small bits and then it's more manageable. And when I have a hard time getting going creatively, I'll do, I don't know if you've ever tried doing that hundred words in a hundred days thing. Oh, there, I don't know where, what that is. Um, I don't even know where I saw it, but somebody <laughs> posted it a long time ago where you just make yourself write a hundred words every day for a hundred days. And it sounds really like rudimentary but sometimes it's hard to do those hundred words and other times you start with a hundred and you end up with 500 just depending on how your day went yeah. and so i when i get stuck a lot especially when i'm feeling a lot of pressure from the day job but i don't want to lose the thread with writing yeah. i will just do just do a hundred words and if i do a hundred words isn't even a paragraph if yeah I can't write less than a paragraph on my work in progress every day i'm in a really bad spot yeah uh, yeah yeah, so I, I, I find that that's a good way to keep going through the rough times. Uh, my mom passed away. I was doing 100 words in 100 days, and I yeah. <laughs> sounds horrible, but I, I did. I kept it up because it could get me out of my head for a little bit to focus on my book for yeah. the 10 minutes it took me to write 100 words and not cry for a while. Yeah. That, I mean, so whatever's happening in our real lives, in our day jobs, in our home lives or whatever, as writers, we can use our writing as escape. It does not always have to be to the professional end. We can write it 
as our, you know, go back to where we started writing, which is probably writing for pleasure or writing for our salvation or whatever it was that got us going in the first place. Um, just doing something like that where you write a little bit every day so you don't feel the shoulda. Yeah. And you don't feel the pressure of, um, I haven't done anything. Right, well, you, right. You can say, oh, I did my hundred words. I'm good. I, and it's the permission to stop at yeah. that point. And I think that that's where um, a lot of us fall down, not just as writers, but, you know, as women, as people, is giving ourselves permission to stop and say, okay, I did that for today and I'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. And maybe tomorrow will be easier. Maybe tomorrow will be harder, but I can handle this much every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, kind of look at it. That's so inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I feel kind of silly saying it because, you know, I, I came into writing in the era of more, faster, publish faster. I mean, I right. had one year, I had 22 releases. Don't do Holy what I did. Cow, Don't do what yeah. I did. Don't do what I did. <laughs> no wonder and, you need health insurance. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't do what I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the era in 2013, 2014. The, the faster you could release, the better. And they were, a lot of them were novella length, but I still had to write those novellas. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah. uh, that was shorter, faster, you know, crank them out era. And uh, thankfully that is slowed, I think. And I think we're all yeah. taking a breath and saying, no, I can't keep up that pace. In romance right. in particular, it's the only genre, genre where we're pro expected to produce these massive quantities of work. And, yeah. um, and God, I, you know, we love our readers and we want them to be happy. <laughs> we just want you to be happy. <laughs> um, true. True. And we, and we love you for loving our stories and for wanting more. And would happily give it to you, um, but it does take a little time. <laughs> and yeah. We do have to do laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, buy milk and see children and grandchildren and, and you know, the dog wants yeah. to be fed all the time. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's like clockwork. Yeah, I know. Feed it's me in the morning. So Feed me demanding. So demanding. You know, that's <laughs> those spouses and the you know, other people in our lives that actually want us to look at them when they speak. Yeah. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> right. Can't you see I'm nodding my head? I agree with yeah, what I'm saying. I, I totally you. hear you. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who are you again? Oh, you're cute. I, now I remember why I married you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think oh. there's a lot of that where we, we get caught in that loop. Um, and I think romance authors are, feel a little more of that pressure than some other genres might. I might be wrong about that, but I'm no, I'm no expert. But I know that uh, in the, that era of, of produce more faster, we were certainly trying to, and we all want to catch the wave. We right. all want to. We all want to be able to make some money with our writing. Let's. I mean, we're in this business as a business, so. Yeah. They, they, you know, we don't have to be ashamed to say that. Exactly. Uh, that what's, we're, we're hoping to at least, you know, be able to cover a conference cost. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing this for a reason? Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, so I don't know. That's, that's what kind of works for me is to take it in smaller bites and try to keep it in perspective and live a life outside of writing. Because yeah. for a long time, I didn't live a life outside of writing. And that will burn you out. 
and uh, you won't be writing your best stories then. This it's is brilliant. <laughs> it's all about the story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And whatever it takes to have you in the mood where you're putting your best work out. And for me, I need to be, I need to have like a, an inner sense of peace. So like you, like I can't write when I'm stressed about wondering, you know, is there going to be money for this or time for that or, you know, whatever the stress is or somebody's sick or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And then also I personally, I need to be in a place where I have, uh, even if I'm writing, even if I'm writing some sort of murder, like I need to have some sort of joy, like right. seated. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you have to counterbalance that. If you're writing something that's darker, more emotional or, you know, scarier or whatever, you've got to be able to step out of that for a minute and go make a s'more or something so yeah. that you can have, have a sweet moment. I, I've done that before where I've really, yeah, the insight into Margaret's life. I've written these really emotional scenes where I'm like tearing myself up and I'm like, oh, I got to go. And I got to get out of this because it, there comes a point where it's a little much. And yeah. so I've literally gone down and stuck a marshmallow on a fork over the burner of the stove and made myself a s'more <laughs> so I can be a little happy because how are you unhappy when you're eating sticky marshmallow and chocolate, right? That is so true. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. I really like it. And that's where the, the processed cheese foods come into my life, you know, because I can keep some cheese that's on my desk and I can stop and have a little break where I can say, okay, it's all right. You know, we're not living this. We're, we're yeah. writing about it because there are times as writers where you're in it, you're in that scene yeah. with them. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. On, on a side note, I'm sorry, but since you said s'mores, I, I have to, I'm a Midwesterner, s'mores, that's like a whole topic in itself. I, I know. They're so beautiful. my husband was off with the uh, men's retreat at church this weekend and just got home a couple hours ago. And he was like, yeah, so what we did was we made Oreo s'mores. <gasps> so they used Oreos instead of graham crackers. <laughs> I can't ever tell my husband about that. I mean, he'd be like, buy the Oreos. Yeah. Oh so I'm just saying, you know, if I you need to be double happy. Cookies, that would be really good too. Oh, <laughs> my. All, all the varieties of s'mores we can come up with. My husband yeah. had never had a s'more until last year. Can you believe <gasps> He was born and raised in Arkansas. He was born and raised in the Ozarks up in the mountains. They camp, they fish all the time. How did you never have a s'more? He was a Boy Scout. <laughs> he's like, yeah. no, that wasn't part of, you know, I guess he's just that old. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's what I tell him. Wow, was there that much difference between 1960 and 68? Really? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he had never had a s'more and our grandson was here and we had a little pile of wood and so he wanted to make a campfire. And so we're like, okay, well, of course, being the grandma, <laughs> we're like, sure, we're going to set that on fire for you, baby. And I'm going to go buy some sugar and yeah. it to you. <laughs> so I ran out and I got the graham crackers and Hershey bars and marshmallows and I was, you know, teaching them how to make s'mores and my husband's like, where have these been all my life? I'm like, I don't know where you've been. Yeah. I was a Girl Scout for six months and I knew about this. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. To live outside doing campfirey things and to have no one explain this to you. I know. I've never slept out of doors, but I've eaten a s'more. Exactly. <laughs> and I you and I were so meant weird to be friends. that I've never been camping. I'm like, no. Why would I sleep outside? They're perfectly good cabins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's beds right over there. Exactly. I'm not sleeping on the ground. Yeah, with the bugs. I can sleep in the car if I had to. 
Yeah. You know, but I'm not sleeping on the ground with the bugs. Yes, exactly. They're <laughs> bugs and they love me and they think that my sweet Yankee blood is delicious. So yes, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, this is so fun and I totally want to keep going, but I think we've been talking for about an hour. So oh, well, we should probably let all the listeners like get back to the yeah, other thing. I've been talking for an hour. You mean, Margaret, shut up. <laughs> This is great though. I love it. And it's why I love listening to writing podcasts because yeah. it's, it's like you're there with the people going, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly. And I think that we need that because it is a solitary thing that we're doing and we're, we're very much in our heads all the time. Um, and so I think being able to talk to other writers, I'm going to my local RWA lunch here in a little bit and just being able to sit down with these other writers and just say, oh, you know, I did an Amazon ad this week and it totally tanked. And, hey, have you tried this? And, hey, have you done this? Or, oh, you know, I, I don't know where to go with this plot point. It makes all the world a difference. Yeah. To be able to talk about it and be free about it. So if you haven't quit your day job yet, don't worry about it. You don't need to quit your day job. You can still be a writer. You're still a writer. Yes, you still are a writer. Yes. I love it. Yeah. This has been such great fun. I now, I know that people are going to want to uh, the, read up about you and, and find out about some of the books that we've talked about. So where can listeners find you and your books online? Um, well, I'm, my books are everywhere. Um, most of them are under Maggie Wells, but there are a few Margaret Etheridge's out there. You can find everything at my website, which uh, the easier one to spell is Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E dash Wells, W-E-L-L-S dot com. Okay. Um, it's also margaretetheridge.com, but everyone wants to put the E in the middle of Etheridge and make me Melissa Etheridge, and I'm Margaret <laughs> Etheridge. <And laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, you can reach me directly by Gmail. I love to get emails from readers, um, and that's just Maggie Wells and the number one, Maggie Wells one at gmail.com, or I'm Maggie Wells one on Twitter. And I do like to have just inane Twitter conversations. And if you're going to give me the little GIF things, I'm all over it. We can have a whole GIF conversation. <laughs> um, I'm on Facebook as well. And it's author Maggie Wells or author Margaret Etheridge, whichever you prefer. I do have a reader group. Um, and they're called the Margaritas. That's and, awesome. And, and, I, and I think on Facebook, it's just under Maggie Wells Reader Group. I'm also part of a multi-author group on Facebook called The Corner of Smart and Sexy. Um, and it's something I do with five other authors. You probably know them. Serena Bell, Karen Booth, Marilyn Kelly, Jessica Lemon, Reese Ryan. A lot of them are for Harlequin and Desire. And uh, they're just a great group. And we have a lot of fun talking in there. Awesome. I also have my Facebook group. If you are looking for characters who are, you know, 35, 40 up looking for, we call it seasoned romance. That was our term for it rather than later in life or mature romance or all the things that people want to call. It. We wanted to just kind of cover the experience, not so much the age. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so seasoned romance on Facebook, we're uh, 3000 strong almost. And, wow. uh, and we love to swap recommendations. It's a, it's a reader group, not a place for promotion. So you can come in and talk about what you read, what you loved. And uh, as long as it's got a hero or a heroine that is a little bit older than the norm, we want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I'm all over the place. I can think of lots fun. of things to do. <laughs> <other than Yeah. that. laughs> 
<laughs> and all this plus an additional full-time job that you're at during the Monday through Friday period. Yeah, well, yeah, that, I, I've been really very lucky in terms of the job. And the other part that I would say about the job thing is, is don't be afraid to make your job accommodate your writing. I purposely downsized my my career where I wasn't traveling so much, where I wasn't, I could afford to take a job as long as I could get the health insurance coverage within, you know, I learned to do without a lot of the luxuries. I don't hit conferences every year and I don't do these things every year because I don't have the uh, expendable income that I used to have when I was the corporate <laughs> climber. But yeah. um, I am very happy at my smaller job and, and with, I don't take the worries home with me at night. Nice. And I go to work and I do the best I can for them and in those hours and I go home at night and I write. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad you made time for us. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I really like to be able to reach out to people and talk about writing and kind of pull back the smoke and mirrors. A lot of us kind of get trapped behind and, and talk about the realities of writing. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm.